Here by the Owl podcast is a podcast for owlets and wise owls alike. Join hosts Nikki Fiddle-Eye-Doll and Brianna Briegel along with rotating owls from across the country as they discuss what it takes to advise from time to time. Our podcast is fueled by the true knowledge from empowering agricultural education instructors and ripen with the wisdom you will never learn in a textbook. Welcome back to another episode of Here by the Owl podcast. Today we have our friend Robin McLean with us to talk all things technology, which is super vital right now in COVID teaching. Um, But to start out with Robin, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of give us a background of where you teach. Yes, I am a middle school agricultural science teacher at Northern Burlington County Regional in Columbus, New Jersey. Our school population has 744 seventh and eighth graders. And during the course of the year, I'll get to see 272 of them in a variety of classes from the nine week agri-science seven to the 18 week agri-science eight to the full year case introduction to ag food and natural resources. And then I teach an additional class called Pathways to Success. And I've been at Northern Burlington for 13 years, but in the profession itself for 22 and a half years. And this year, it feels like year one, doesn't it? It it completely does feel like year one, and I feel fortunate in that one of my other roles at school is being one of a team of facilitators of instructional technology, and so we help our colleagues with technology in the classroom and and ways they can use educational technology, So, so that's been helpful to me to have that hat because I've got some of that background already. Before we move on, like briefly let everybody know where today or next week, where are you currently with teaching during this pandemic? Because you're very different than Brianna and I, so. So, so um, as of Monday, which is going to be um, our first day that we have hybrid instruction, we will have 25% of our student population in the school building, the rest will be remote. And so we'll be rotating through that that hybrid cycle with students where a large chunk of them will still be remote. And you guys started full virtual. And we started full virtual, 100% virtual for the first two weeks of the school year. Teachers were in the building, students were at home. So for those listening, you kind of get a background of where uh, Robin and her school are currently, which could change in in the matter of minutes, but uh, I'm sure many of you out there uh, can relate to how she's currently teaching. Brianna and I currently, as of today, which is September 27th, are still full face-to-face uh, five days a week. But um, so what is kind of your background uh, with your experience with educational technology? I'm sure this didn't happen overnight. So kind of walk us through where you got to the point you are today. Um, And I'm glad you asked that because it gave me the time to think about where were my ed tech roots set. And um, I'm going to go back probably to before the two of you were born um, to to 1981 um, when my father bought me the Texas Instruments 99 computer console that plugged into your TV 
and bought me the typing tutor program so that I could learn how to type. And so I really think that, you know, that family concept of, okay, let's introduce technology for learning at home was helpful. And then in high school, you know, on the Apple II GS, uh, we were using a program called HyperCard, which fast forward to today and HyperCard is very similar to the concept of HyperDocs that you might hear in, in EdTech lingo today where, you know, you have a link and you go somewhere else to get an experience or activity. Um, when I was in college, we actually uh, were using AppleWorks for the Macintosh and we had a class called Microcomputer Applications for Education. Um, and it was so interesting to me and I was, you know, interested in how it can work and how it can play into education um, that I ultimately became a teaching assistant for that course. And, you know, I just, it kept me curious, it kept me learning, it kept me sharing. I was uh, recently diving around in my basement, which is just a treasure trove of fun stuff. And I found a, a three and a half inch floppy disk that had a PowerPoint presentation that I was teaching my coworkers um, on how to use PowerPoint back when I was a new teacher in 1998. So there's kind of you the- put the that in your classroom. Yeah, yeah. Frame that, because I'm sure many of your kids don't even know what that is. Yes, that save icon, kids, that's a floppy disk. <laughs> so, well, go ahead, Brianna. I was just going to say, it's crazy to me, like, just how fast technology changes and evolves. And, like, um, I'm starting my year four of teaching. So, my first year of teaching, all of my students were one-to-one. -one. You know, so, like, thinking about, like, not having that technology, but also thinking ahead in the future, like, how much it's going to change by the time that I've been teaching as long as you or as long as some of the other, um, you know, 30 year teachers or 40 year teachers and just seeing how much it evolves over time. Um, so how do you really stay current with technology when it is changing so much? One of the ways that I'm able to stay current is I go to ed camps when I can and ed camps are free. They're organized um, usually by local schools or schools pooling together. And they're basically a way for teachers to share something that they know about and others to come. And it's, I'm not going to say completely unformatted and unstructured because it is, but it's really based on, on interest. And even during the um, early days of the pandemic in April and May, uh, there were ed camps that were organizing virtually so that teachers could actually click which Zoom room they wanted to go into. Um, one of the other ways that I stay current is one of my professional memberships is a member of ISTE, which stands for the International Society for Technology and Education. And that's really been a way for me to, to kind of stay in touch beyond the ag education family with the technologies that's out there. I go to um, workshops and webinars that they offer. Um, I take advantage of free events when I see them. Um, there is a summit called the Ditch Summit done by Matt Miller, who happens to have, you know, a book called Ditch That Textbook and Tech Like a Pirate. And, you know, reading those books, but also attending those, those free events to kind of build my toolkit. Um, and then I think the, one of the other ways that I stay current is I look for opportunities to gain my skills. 
Um, so I look for other certifications or ways to become ambassadors. Some of the tools that I'll talk about uh, later that are some of my favorites, I've either gained certifications or become an ambassador in because what that does is it gives you early news on some of the tools, lets you be a beta tester and give some additional perks. Um, and then the last way that I stay current is I'm, I'm connected on Twitter to people and I follow hashtags and I go beyond the ag ed community again. You know, I, I love my ag ed family, but staying connected to other people and following that really helps me know what's out there. This makes me think of, so it is changing and if if you even let up on staying current, even for a little bit, it, it just gets away from you. And it makes me think of, so I student taught under a gentleman uh, in rugby. His name is Rick Vanette. Um, he's one of the, the ag teacher greats, but my favorite part of student teaching was sitting down like at the end of the day and just talking about ag ed, um, which I mean, we're all kind of nerdy in here, so we get it. Um, but he would just talk about like the good old days of ag ed and tell fun stories. And he told me one time, the school that year had just given him an iPad. So he's, he's trying to figure out how to use this iPad. And he goes to tell me this story about, he remembers when the first computer was brought into the school. And <laughs> He said, I knew at that moment, um, he said, education's always changing and you just know when there's some things that are going to come and go very quickly. And he's like, the computer was one of them. He's like, I'm not going to learn it because it won't be here for long as he's trying to work this iPad. So you got you to gotta keep working at it. And like you said, find, find the things because they're, they're not going away. Um, and so now he's like a master at his iPad and using the AATN and iPad, and I'm so proud of him, <laughs> but he was very wrong. Um, so I guess, what are your tips? Because it's, I don't know, it can be very overwhelming because uh, there's so much out there. So I guess, what are your tips, advice to teachers who want to get started, but like don't even know where to start? And maybe even during this time, uh, maybe you have a separate tip on, you know, we're, we're so plugged in right now. Um, you know, where, where does one start, whether they're in ag ed or not? Okay. And so, you know, my, my advice for starting that you've seen others use and really that's how, um, and I'll use the example of, of Nearpod, which is a tool that I, I use a lot. I was at an ed camp heard about people using it. So I thought, okay, here's other teachers using it. It was actually a science teacher sharing how she used it. Here's other people using it. How might I be able to? So, you know, the first thing is look for something you've seen other people use and share about their successes. Um, the second I would say is start with one tool and get comfortable with it and then add others to your tool. It. And that's been a big message that I've heard, especially in the professional development I've done over the course of this summer, as we're this concept of a lot of people being remote or having to be remote, is for your own sanity, you know, try to find one tool that you get comfortable with 
but also at the same time for your student. Novel way of, of being instructed and taught, and although we like to think of them as digital natives, they aren't necessarily so. And so to throw too much new tech at them at once can be a challenge. And then the other is really look look for that free training that's available. There are several educator groups on Facebook that offer Facebook live sessions or offer free webinars or even offer self-paced tutorials. And so those are kind of the three tips to start. Um, but then the other key piece of advice I have is take time to play. And I know that even for myself, finding playtime is, is so hard, but it was through saying to myself, okay, I'm going to, you know, set my timer for a half hour and just click around and play and know I'm going to mis make mistakes with this tool just to see what it can do. And so I really think that playtime, not okay, I'm using it and I'm creating this lesson and here's how I want it to work, but that play of let me play, let me hit this button or that button or see what this does is so important. Well, and I think it's so important too, and I see, you know, like parents and their frustrations, and a lot of it is like younger elementary students, but some high school students and their parents and middle school parents as well. There's just so much out there. So really being purposeful with, with the technology that we're using in the classroom um, and making sure that it like is helping the students with their content and getting that content knowledge rather than just like, oh, here's this really fun game that we're going to play. Well, that's great, but if they're not learning anything from it, it's just another thing for them to have to learn. Um, so I think, yeah, making sure everything's really intentional and purposeful when we're using it in the classroom is is a huge one that um, I've learned as I've gotten more immersed into in educational technology. Um, do you have any like tips or do's or, and don'ts of technology in the classroom? Maybe something I've already mentioned, or you know, you're the expert, so maybe you have other things that we should or should not do with technology. <laughs> I appreciate you calling me an expert, but I am by no means an expert. And I, I think that's an important thing to be aware of too, that, you know, especially as Nikki mentioned, that technology always, always changing. You know, I'm, I'm an expert at wanting to learn. And, you know, being an expert at wanting to learn helps me learn some of these aspects. I think one of the things, Brianna, that you just mentioned was, you know, using a tool, um, not for the tool itself, but being purposeful about how it is used is critical. And as we started our school year, knowing that we were going to be all remote for a little back to all remote, having a lot of students remote, one of the foundations I set early in my classes was that a couple of the tech tools I planned to use, I worked through using the tool with the students, modeling the features with them, even though we were remote, while tying in some relevant content for them. And so kind of sharing, okay, here's what a Nearpod Collaborate board will look like. Here's how we'll use it. Now share with me your favorite food and why it's your favorite on the board. And so it was kind of an, an easy way to, to transition into some of the technology. If, if I look at kind of giving three do's and three don'ts, um, my three do's are, um, if you have a tool that you're able to take a look at the student view, make sure that you 
you do that. I often um, set up a lesson and then um, I run upstairs to a computer that I'm not logged into, you know, that I'm not the, the normal person on to see, okay, what's it look like from that device or what's it look like from this iPad? So trying the student view, just so if my students are challenged, I kind of have a feel for what they might have seen. Um, you mentioned, Brianna, and this is one of my other do's, that so important concept of using technology to enhance a lesson, but not technology to be the lesson. Um, and then my other do is get student feedback on the experience. You know, let them share, okay, this is what maybe I liked, or this is what I didn't like, or this is where I struggled. So as you move forward using that technology, you're able to say, okay, you know, here's, here's maybe how I can tweak it or here's uh, what. Um, as, far as, as far as my don'ts, you know, don't give up after the first shot of a tech tool. It, it's an adjustment period for everybody. Um, and there's going to be glitches from time to time. And, you know, just like anything in the classroom where you try something and, oh, maybe this didn't work, you know, I'm not going to throw it out. I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to revise to say, how can I, you know, make this better, make it work. And then if after a couple tries, it's not the right tool for me or my students, then I can say, eh, gotta get, gotta get, let that one go. Um, another one, and again, this comes from some of my summer training is, you know, don't, don't overuse a tool. Yes, I love Nearpod, I love Flipgrid, but if I were to use Nearpod every day, you know, it would lose some of that impact that it has for my students. So avoiding that overuse. And then my, um, my, third, my third don't, which again supports that, that do that I mentioned earlier, is don't let technology be the lesson or the outcome. The lesson or the outcome, you know, are, are our objectives for our students of helping them experience that broad world of culture or whatever our plant science or animal science course offers. It's not how to use this tech tool. I think too, you know, sometimes you'll have a class that really doesn't like uh, a piece of technology. And if you stopped there, um, you would never use it. But I have classes where they really love to use GimKit and others that are like, eh, it's all right. So um, finding what works best for your kids in, your, in that class at that time is super important because it allows you to be impactful uh, with that technology. So you've already thrown out a few of your faves, but I'm excited to hear what are your go-to favorite uh, pieces of technology and I guess kind of why you like to use them and how you're currently implementing them. Okay, and so um, I, I have three favorites. And when you emailed me the question, I, I you know, made a little grid of my favorites so I could kind of think back to them. And, and then after I had it all written down, I went to, uh, in July, someone had asked me what my favorites were. And I went back to a, a blog post I had written in July, which had my three favorites and their pros and cons. And I'm like, yes, I'm consistent. That's what I said in July. And that's what I was thinking now. So, so they're definitely my three go-tos right now. And the first is Flipgrid. Um, I love Flipgrid because students are able to record videos. Um, I'm able to give them feedback either via um, email or via video. 
um, their classmates are able to respond and reply to their videos. It's a way for students to interact you know, asynchronously. So we don't all have to be live in the classroom at that time for them to have their feedback and for them to have their, their input. Um, you know, it's, it's on their own time. I know that as we look at being, and I tried it uh, last year before COVID when we were full out together in the classroom, and yeah, in, in a live teaching setting, unless you have space to let your students go somewhere quiet, uh, Flipgrid is not great in the classroom because you have all these voices trying to record. So that is something to be, to be aware of. But you know, I have used it, well this year I used it for introductions so that my students were able to use introductions. And when I used it that way, I actually set it to moderate so that I would get to review the post and the comment before all of their classmates saw, especially because it was a new tool to them. Um, I wanted to make sure that they were putting out something that they would be comfortable with their classmates hearing. So a few students I did reach out to and say, you know, you shared this fact, how can I, you know, are you comfortable with your classmates hearing? So that moderate feature is really helpful. Um, last spring and um, when we went into this, you know, Teach, teach from home experience last days I plan to implement it. We used it for lab updates. So my seventh graders did a seed germination lab. And at the end of that germination lab, they actually recorded a flip grid that had their lab results and why they thought it happened. And it shared pictures of their plants. Um, my eighth graders had done a meet my tree activity where over the course of um, the the marking period that we were home last spring, they were making observations on a tree. And so their final assessment of that was actually a Flipgrid video that incorporated their tree. Uh, my Case AFNR class, they were doing biome research for one of their projects. And in that biome research, uh, we had, I had them share about their biomes. And so those are some in-class ways to use Flipgrid, but I also need to consider FFA. You know, we, we are a three component program. And so, you know, looking, looking at FFA, I had my creed speaker preparing for our state creed competition, which was, again, um, we ran our CDEs last, last spring at state convention, even though we weren't at state convention and it was virtual. I would post a, a question in Flipgrid and then my Creed speaker would respond. And so I'd be able to give her um, some, some tips. We also, the first chapter meeting that we had when we went remote was completely asynchronous because I didn't know how things would work. And so we had an FFA um, area where each of the major topics that would normally be on the agenda Kind of had some commentary about them and students could click and find out about career development events or state convention in those little mini mini blurbs and so flipgrid's the first tool that i wanted to share any questions you have on that one before i go to my number two i just love the ref like the lab reflections um, and i have some kids that hate flipgrid then i have others that don't so I think it's a toss up. I will say one thing I never expected to have to say to my kids was you have to be in the video. When I first used it, so many kids would record the floor. 
And I was like, you guys, you're dancing all weird on TikTok, but you can't record a Flipgrid that literally I will see. So, um, I, but I never considered the Creed thing. And I think that's a really cool way to kind of use that with, with kids. Okay, so I'll, I'll go to my number two pick then. Um, my number two pick is a tool called Wakelet. Um, again, this is a tool that I heard about at an ed camp. And when I first jumped into using it, I, I will tell you, I used it basically just like a bookmark tool to, to add websites that I wanted. And that was all I was it for. Um, and as I've gone to other trainings and as I've looked at some free Wakelet trainings, I've learned that it's, it's so much more. Ultimately, um, you're able to create themed collections of materials and organize different content. Um, but the great thing about it is that it allows for um, YouTube videos to go in. It allows PDF files. It can have Google Drive materials uploaded. It can have, you know, bookmarks. So there's, there's a variety of resources you can pool into it. And so I have used it for um, virtual field trip options. So I would put, we were doing, again, I'll, I'll go back to that meet my tree activity. I had students um, take a virtual tour of an arboretum and I gave them, you know, six arboretums to choose from and had linked the videos into that particular wakelet for them. Um, recently, it's been updated that there's a new collaborate feature, which I haven't experimented with, but I've, you know, again, going back to using Twitter as a tool to stay current, I have seen how teachers are using that collaborate feature to work with their students remotely. Um, other teachers have shared that they actually post their unit agendas using a wakelet and then their students are able to kind of click through and work their way through the experience that way. Um, one of the, the great things that I like about Wakelet is the flexibility of adding items to it. And we are a Google school, and so we use Google Classroom. And it used to be when I did a project with my students, I would, you know, have, oh, here's a helpful link for you. And I would put it up in their Google Classroom. And then if I found something else, I'd have to go back and I'd have to edit that post. And if I had multiple of the same class, I had to remember to edit it multiple times. And the great thing with a Wakelet is I can attach a Wakelet to a project. And if there's something that I need to add, I can easily add it. And I'll use the example we were adding pictures to a Google slide. And some of my students were struggling. And so I created a Wakelet that had, okay, here's some resources to help you if you're struggling adding your image. You know, and as students said, oh, well, I'm not on that type of device. I'm on this type of device. I was able to find a new resource, add it, and then they were able to easily access it. That's one that I haven't used before, but I like the ways that you're talking about being able to use it. Um, we don't use Google Classroom, but we use Schoology, and I, I can still see the, the benefits, I guess, of using that one. Um, and definitely something like, I, like you were mentioning that I want to test out and maybe play around for 30 minutes or whatever to, to try to figure it out. Nikki, have you used Wakelet before? No, I haven't. And I, I just wanted everybody to know that Robin is sharing a link to her uh, her wakelet and so in the resources for this episode um like as she was talking i was getting very deep into some of these like they're so good 
I actually was like, oh, it made me think of my lesson plan for tomorrow. <laughs> but um, so go look at her wakelet to give you an idea of how you can easily uh, implement that. And I laughed a little, Nikki, because in my own wakelets, I can see the evolution in them of, okay, here's when I was first learning how to do it. And now, oh, here's some of the, you know, the free training I've attended or the examples I've seen from other teachers. Here's how I can make it flow better. And then um, my last one, my last one has been a, a go-to for a long time, longer than I actually realized, and that is Nearpod. And Nearpod is a tool, I am, I am classified as a Nearpod pioneer, um, which, which means that um, I have, you know, some additional training on Nearpod, some additional supports from them. But I just, I love this tool because it allows so many opportunities for interactive experiences with my students. I can do anything from just share uh, regular content to having some games with time to climb to doing matching pairs. And there's just so many opportunities in it. And most recently they added an interactive video component which is kind of, if any of you are familiar with Edpuzzle, is very similar to the features that Edpuzzle has. Um, you know, I have, it has an immersive reader in it. So when I'm sharing content and it's student paced and there's a student who might struggle to read, they're able to click that immersive reader and the slide that's presented will actually read for the students. And it has um, different ways you can present. So there is the teacher-led or teacher-paced sessions, which when I'm in the classroom, you know, back pre-COVID and everyone was together, um, I would usually use that teacher-led to, um, to facilitate the instruction so that as soon as I saw students were struggling, I knew that I might have to readjust and, and let's reapproach this subject and, and build on it a little bit I have, you know, this, as we've started our remote and, and moving into our hybrid, I use teacher-led as well as using student pace. So I've used it both ways. One of the areas I've discovered, at least for myself, that's important to do is if I do a Nearpod as a teacher-led experience, I find that it's important, especially to, to help those students who might need to see concepts again, um, it's important to be able to share it as a student paced be shared for another 30 days so students can go back through and review content for themselves and, and make sure that they get to see it again. Um, and I will, I will share with you, I mentioned that I teach a course called Pathways to Success. It's a seventh grade foundational skills sort of course, time management goal setting. And our most recent lesson was related to how to write an email to be, you know, something that your teachers are aware. And I, there are two other teachers in our school that teach Pathways. And so the student teacher of one joined my class to see what Pathways was like the way I presented email, as opposed to how who he was working with presented email. And it was his first exposure to Nearpod. And his take on it was, wow, as we did it in a Nearpod, the students seemed to be more engaged in the class because there were ways for them to interact 
to you know share their ideas or share their opinions and so it really gives that opportunity um, when I've heard you know the strategy of if you're hybrid how do you or if your you know students are all remote how do you give them appropriate feedback if it's student paced and it provide Nearpod provides reports and so you know you're able to see in that report man everybody got that question wrong you know what what might I need to do our next lesson to make sure that we reinforce that and some non-classroom ideas that I've heard related to this have been using Nearpod as a newsletter so that you have this interactive sort of newsletter to send out uh, to, to parents or to supporters. And I also have used it some for my career development event team training. And so we've done some different activities where there might be um, an activity where we're doing a time to climb, which is kind of like a quiz where they're competing against each other in wildlife ID for environmental and natural resources. So there's kind of the nutshell version of Nearpod and how I use it. I really need to try that. Um, I was exposed a little bit through Case. They've been using Nearpod uh, and, and we did the time to climb and I'm very competitive. So anything like that, I, I love doing, but I, I have a sub this week. So maybe they can give it a shot in welding class. I might go out on a limb and see if, <laughs> if those kids would like it, but. Um. And, and I will share, and, and you made me think about that, that go out on a limb, that there are different levels of um, Nearpod, I'm going to say membership, that's, that's not it, Nearpod fee structure. And so there's the most basic, which is the silver, which has some limited memory. And then there's what's called the gold. And I will be sure that in a hyperlink that I send to you following this, so it will be a resource available to our listeners. As a pioneer, I am able to give away 90-day trials of the gold. And so I'll make sure that I get you that link. So if anyone's like, hey, Nearpod, let me try some of the extra perks, they're able to do that. I... I love this. I, I, I could sit and listen to technology in the classroom for a long time. Um, Brianna, what's one of your go-tos? I'm putting you on the spot. I was just going to say, I knew you were going to ask me this question and I like had something in my mind and now I can't um, think of what I was going to say. I mean, I like using, and Nikki probably would say this as her favorite too, I like using GimKit a lot. Um, I've seen a lot of, I follow a lot of people on Twitter as well and follow some education accounts and I've seen a lot of discussion about having some of the other ones. Like I love Kahoot as well, but it's, you know, people are competing against each other. Um, and so you read tech, you read tech like a pirate, didn't you? I did. And you yeah. loved, and you enjoyed that book. Yeah, I would highly recommend that book. I, um, got a lot of great ideas from that, but, um, so a lot of students don't like that competitive feature about it. So I like GimKit in the way that students can use the power-ups to their advantage. And it's not so like, it's kind of at their own pace. It's you're competing against your classmates, but it's not like the smartest kid doesn't always win. So I think that that's what I like about GimKit. And I like Flipgrid a lot too. I've had my students like evaluate themselves on like their shop projects. 
using um, Flipgrid. And I guess one thing that I was thinking of while, Robin, while you were talking, one feature that sometimes I utilize with that is making it so that students can't see each other's. Like it's great for if you're having them comment on each other or with introductions, but when I have my students evaluate themselves on different projects, I make it so they can't like see each other's. And sometimes I have some students with, with anxiety who don't want, you know, I don't want Nikki to see what I'm saying. So that feature is great for those students that aren't super confident in their answers all the time. Um, and while we're talking tech like a pirate, uh, this summer we did a book study at work with it. And we did that book study through Flipgrid. And the great part about it was, you know, sometimes you, I find you just need to like take these leaps of faith and just do these crazy audacious things and see what happens. And so I emailed Matt Miller, I emailed him and he's the author of uh, Tech Like a Pirate. And I emailed him the guest code to our Flipgrid, which gave people the ability to post in the Flipgrid and see it. And so, you know, I emailed him the guest code and said, we have, you know, a welcome to the book talk. Would you be willing to contribute? And, you know, within, I want to say within two days, he had a welcome in our, let's get to know everybody in the book club. And so, you know, don't, don't be afraid to, to go out on a limb with some of these different, these different things. You know, if, if you're reading a book about tech tools, reach out to the author on Twitter or on, you know, whatever media they're referencing because they're willing to connect and to share ideas and to pass ideas along. That's so cool. We're, yeah, we're big fans <laughs> of Matt Miller. Um, so that's pretty fabulous. And I think we forget that they're real people and just like us. So, um, I, I love when you get to follow those types of people and see that, you know, yes, they've wrote this book and they seem like experts, but they're literally still using it in their classroom every day. So um, that's cool. I would have loved to be in that book study. <laughs> so um, I guess a Gim Kit's one of my favorites, but I really like Plickers too. Uh, I just used Plickers last week. Uh, basically you have these printed out cards. I laminated them and uh, we can take a quiz or practice and they hold up the card um, with the letter associated with the correct answer facing up. And then I have an app on my phone and I just quickly scan it and it literally grades everything in seconds. Um, I, I try not to do really high stakes testing with it because I know some kids, um, they they like to be able to reflect on questions and go back and with this um since it only shows one question at a time um that's harder to do but we did it with sporting dog breeds um pictures and it worked really good um you can practice on there it's super fun so check that out and all of these that we've talked about have different levels so there's free versions uh there's uh versions uh and discounts for teachers so you know check those things out um but Go ahead. I'm glad that you mentioned Plickers. Um, it's, it's been a while since I used Plickers, um, but the fact that you mentioned laminating them, it's, it, Plickers is a great instant feedback sort of tool. One of the things I discovered with Plickers is sometimes if they're laminated, you have to make sure that you don't have some light glare on them. So just something to keep in mind as a tip. And also, I made the mistake once of trying to print out 
flip um, clickers without doing any advanced work and trying to print out several at a time. And what happened is the um, ink started to smudge a little bit and so it impacted your results. So if you are thinking about clickers and printing out cards of your own, I would encourage you to do small, like, you know, numbers one through six first and then give your printer a rest just to make sure that you don't have the, the glitch there. Yeah, I, I love it. I've not had any problems with the glare. Surprisingly, we actually tested them out in our gym because I was like, there's no way that this app is going to be able to scan those cards. And every card looks a little different. So kids really can't even cheat off of each other. I mean, I suppose if they're sitting really close, but we don't have that problem now because they have to be six feet apart. But um, we were the length of our gym and my app could still scan the card. So it's pretty cool. Um, and mess around with it and you put in your class and each kid gets a different number and it knows who is what and uh, try it with something simple. Um, but as we talk about these, I guess, how, are, how, how can teachers leverage these during this time now? Whether it's Brianna and I face-to-face, -face, you currently moving into hybrid, and then we have folks out there that are full distance. Um, you know, what are your, what's your advice for leveraging technology right now? I think, you know, I think the best advice I have for leveraging technology right now, and it goes back to that community of learners, that community of, of people, whether it's, you know, the, the IGED discussion lab or whether, you know, NAAE communities of practice, you know, had some distance learning information back in March as we went to online learning. It's leveraging that community of people to see how they are using the tool you're considering in their current teaching setting. And I think that's the biggest thing because what might work for me in a 100% remote setting might not be ideal for you in a full face-to-face -face setting, you know, and something that works for you face-to-face -face might not be working for me. And I've really discovered that the communities I'm in especially on Facebook. You know, I'm in a Flipgrid educators community and I'm in a Google Classroom community. And, you know, all those different tools that are there, um, teachers are asking questions about how did you do this or how did you do that? So I think the best way to leverage technology is to plug into your community, whatever community that is, and see how people in similar settings right now are leveraging that technology and learn from them and ask questions. I think being a connected educator is the biggest way to leverage technology in all the crazy multitude of scenarios that we have right now going on in education. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Robin. We didn't ask you this question in advance. I know, full panic. She's got her notes. But <laughs> I'm just curious, like you've mentioned Matt Miller, are there other educators on um, Twitter or some of those hashtags that you follow that you would recommend? Maybe I'm brand new to Twitter and I don't even know where to start. Um, so I would say one of the others to follow is, and it's Shake Up Learning, I believe is, is the Twitter hashtag or is the uh, Twitter username there. And Shake Up Learning is a great way to share um, some different resources and ways that they've leveraged using technology in the classroom. There is um, 
and I can't think of I can't think of their Twitter handle, but there is a group, um, a pair of people, and I want to say it's getting nerdy with Mel and Gertie, but I, I could be wrong on that. And no, it is. It is. They have okay. an amazing Teachers Pay Teachers store. Yes. Yes. So getting nerdy with Mel and Gertie is another just really um, amazing amazing resource. If you're a Flipgrid person, and I don't can't think of how to spell her name, but Ka, um, Kathy Keswecki, I believe, and she does uh, flip hunt information and different ways to use Flipgrid. Um, there is uh, Rochelle Poth, and I connected through her, um, with her through Buncee, and my experience with Buncee, another another tech tool. And so she has um, a community on Facebook called Thrive in EDU, which is, you know, just really helping educators kind of find find their best self. Um, you know, those are those are some that come to mind immediately. Um, I use the hashtag EdTech very often to find just in general some some EdTech tools. And again, um, ISTE, which is at I-S-T-E, ISTE um, produces a lot of material and information. And honestly, and I'm not trying to do like a sales pitch for ISTE or anything, even though it's about to sound like it, but in this um, COVID era, they reduced their annual membership to $75 right now. And I will tell you for the webinars that are part of that, dues paid experience and the communities that they have it is well worth the investment of they have almost i want to say almost once a week they have a webinar of some sort and most recently it was like using ar and vr in the classroom and so those those webinars if you, even if you don't attend but you register you get the resources um, and while i'm i'm thinking you know other ed tech resources um op mccubbins who is at Mississippi State now. Um, he is a great uh, ed tech, I'm gonna call him an ed tech guru and resource. And I believe, and I, I can't recall uh, where it is on Facebook, but I believe he started a, a Facebook resource that actually has ed tech resources and he has one page little snapshots of a multitude of ed tech tools. That, I feel like we have that, Brianna. I, I'll look, I'm pretty positive that was actually shared um, with us from uh, Dr. Marks at NDSU. And I guess I didn't realize it came from him. So that's really cool. Um, I'll, I'll throw that, I know I have it. Um, I'll throw that in uh, the resources um, as well. Cause it is great. It tells you kind of the level you need like how easy it is for you as a teacher to use it and implement and it gives a brief snapshot of what it is and what it does. Um, it is a really great resource. Um, yeah. I love that you brought up being a connected educator because it is, I mean, it is life-changing and I, you said many times like connecting with people that are outside of ag ed, uh, do that because there's so many some of my crazy ideas come from elementary teachers and they're a whole different breed and we we know them we love them and 
that's where I get some of the crazy things and I see it and I just modify it. So um, whatever platform you use, uh, follow those people and, and also post yourself about what you're doing. There's so many people out there that, you know, well, I don't want to post about what I'm doing. It's not that great. It is. And it's going to help. It's helping somebody for sure. I thought of another one. I knew there was another one that I was thinking of and you talked about outside of your community, but having connections and there is, um, you know, and, and whatever platform you use. And so it was making me think of Instagram as a platform. And there is a person on Instagram called Tony Vincent. And I forget if he uses Tony Vincent as his Instagram handle or if he uses classy graphics as his handle. But because I attended a ditch summit and shared on social media once, I won a, a free course with him. And Tony Vincent does Google drawings and all um, the ways you can leverage Google drawings and the ways you can use Google drawings. And I know that as I talked today, I shared a lot about you know, some of those outside of the Google suite tech tools. But I think it's so important too, if you're, you know, a, a Google school or someone that's connected to Google, use what you have there, you know, from, from Google forms to Google slides to Google drawings. There's so much potential in those fundamental tools. You know, if I look at, okay, where do I start with ed tech? Because all these ideas you're throwing out at me, like Flipgrid and all that's a little beyond me take a baby step, you know, and look at Google Slides or Google Drawing and say, how can I use this as more than a presentation tool? You know, what can I do to be more than a graphic creator? And I think, you know, that's something that very often, and even the fact that I'm not coming to it until right now, we forget, you know, that it doesn't have to be over the top crazy ed tech, that there are some basic tools out there that, Students are already, um, especially, you know, at my district where we are a Google school, they're already comfortable with the basic platform. Now let's just take their use up a notch, you know, let's, let's up the ante. I, I love all this advice and I think we need to also leverage Zoom because I guarantee you right now, if you were to post a question online about one of these tech tools, and you ask somebody for help, I guarantee you they would stop what they're doing and they'd even Zoom with you to teach you how to do it. Like, I know in the ag ed world, you know, you'd get more than one person willing to do that. So what a simple way to connect with teachers outside of your own state to just get help um, trying something new. So, uh, well, this has been fabulous. I now have a huge list of people that I need to go follow and I'm going to probably go down a dark hole into ed tech the rest of the day because there's no internet at the school. So I feel like might as well. Right. Um, but make sure uh, you follow all those great people that Robin mentioned, check out, um, we'll have the link to her wakelet, her blog about ag tech, just her general blog. So check that out. Uh, we'll, we'll link some of those other uh, tech things that we talked about and like here by the owl podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And Robin, we really appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks for having me.